0: Here are number 877 381 877 381 You know, you have to laugh. Barack Milhouse, Benito Obama, and B.J. Bill Jefferson Clinton literally pardoned domestic terrorists. Oscar Lopez, perfect example, head of the FALN. Obama gave him a pass, got him out of prison. Clinton, a number of domestic terrorists... And the president's thinking of giving a pardon to Roger Stone. Hey, that's a bridge too far. You better not cross that line, baby. It's one thing to give it to domestic terrorists. But Roger Stone and Manaford, oh my God, no way, no way. We'll have a riot at the Department of Justice. They won't put up with that. Amazing. People are looting and breaking the law. They call themselves part of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. They go in the front door and they're out the back door. But Roger Stone, throw the book at him. Two, three, four, five years. And what did that fraudulent prosecutor want? Seven or eight years? Yeah. Get Roger Stone. This is why the president's angry about this. He's fed up. He's getting advice. I understand Out of the Department of Justice and others telling him, don't do it. He's getting political advice, don't do it. But he's also saying, well, what's wrong is wrong and what's right is right. But I'm not here to sabotage the president. He'll make the decision himself. I just want to point out how outrageously repulsive the media are and the Democrats are and all the rest of them. The way, oh, Roger Stone, you're going to pardon Roger Stone? Why? Did he blow up a building? Did he organize a group against the United States? Was he part of some left wing kook militia? No, no, no. They get tenured professorships. Oh. Maybe even monuments. Oh. Roger Stone, crime of the century, accused of and convicted of lying to Congress. And the, and the four lady, may I say four lady? And the forelady of the, uh, grand, of the uh, jury, of course, was a hack. A left-wing, Trump-hating, Stone-hating hack. Just like the judge, Judge Jackson. You don't agree with me, Judge Jackson? Come on the program. Tough lady, you know. Tough lady. Pointed by Obama. And I'll get into this Emmett Sullivan a little bit later, who's turned into Emmett Kelly, quite frankly. And I don't mean to degrade or desecrate the memory of Emmett kelly but that's a whole nother story all right since i was the first to point it out let me repeat it you'll notice the news reports will not talk about the mortality rate from this virus right now they won't do it not in absolute numbers not in percentages all you'll get is the overall number you go to the drudge report All he does there is aggregate the numbers from the very beginning. So you have no idea if the death rate's going down. And yet, if you go to the CDC site, they have the charts. I'm surprised he doesn't put it on red, blaring red, slap it up there on his foot. No, 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 no. We got to get Trump. He's the David Brock of websites. Well, I went on there. A friend of mine alerted me to this. And I'm looking at this Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Table One, Deaths Involving Corona Disease, 2019, COVID 19. And they have a whole line there, week ending date in which the death occurred. And then the next category is all deaths involving COVID 19. Nine minutes a week old, but so be it. When you go all the way down the list, Mr. Producer, The week ending July 4th, 2020, all deaths involving COVID-19. You know how many, Mr. Producer? 71. 71. Did I say 71? He did say 71. Now you know why this is being censored by the Drudge Report, by Mediate, by Media Matters. Now you know why this is being censored by newsrooms across cable TV, Network TV, it's the chart. I'm looking right at the chart. It's not my chart, it's their chart. It's the government's chart. National Center for Health Statistics. Week ending date in which the death occurred, July 4, 2020. All deaths, all deaths involving COVID-1971. Ladies and gentlemen, should we be celebrating this? Should we be happy about this? Shouldn't this be the headline on the Drudge Report and Mediaite? Shouldn't this be the headline on the newsrooms on cable TV? They have all these charts up there, but they don't have this one. Instead, the overall number of deaths? And they don't even break that down. From what? Are we sure it was COVID-19? That's all explained on the site, too. It's very interesting. It's fascinating, as a matter of fact, that site. So I know this is upsetting the Drudge Report, the Democrats, Biden, the fascistic governors and all. They want to look at the infection rate. They want to look at the positive tests. The fact that we even have tests, you can thank the President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States who coordinated with the private sector to get these tests. Fauci didn't have any tests. 50 years in the government, the CDC had tests, but they were defective. So in 60 to 90 days, now we're, we're testing millions, millions and millions. Look at this. Uh, more people had it than we thought. That was predictable. I said so months ago. You do more tests, you find more infections. Wow, think about that. And so all they talk about is the positive tests, the positive tests, the positive tests. So the president the other week says, maybe we should take less tests. Dr. Fauci says, let's not look at the mortality rate. That doesn't tell us anything. This guy, may I say this respectfully, is becoming a quack. Did I say quack? I said quack. Don't wear masks. Now in some sense, you better wear a mask, the idiot governor of New Jersey says, we're going to fine you $1,000. The idiot governor of Michigan, we'll fine you $500. The idiot mayor, the commie of New York, Hey, uh, as long as you're promoting a Black Lives Matter, do what you want. Wear, don't wear, protest as American. You go to a funeral, you go to church or center, then we're going to slap you hard. You see, this is how Marxism works. So the president says, maybe we should take less tests. Oh my God, can you believe that? Then our friends at The Blaze, Paul Saka... Flashback, Obama administration shut down, shut down H1N1 testing, undercutting Biden's COVID-19 attacks on Trump. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure the media will pick right up on this. I'm sure D. Lemon and Fredo Cuomo will pick right up on this. Oh, yes. I'm sure Blitzed Wolf will pick right up. No, yes, yes. And by the way, did you see Joy Reid's going to get that 7 p.m. primetime slot five days a week on MSLSD, Mr. Producer? A homophobe, an anti-Semite, a bigot. A bigot. And then there's Al Sharpton on MSLSD. Wow, what a crowd there. Maybe they'll hire Deshaun Jackson. Maybe he'll do the 8 p.m. slot. You never know. Why not? Let's move on. From the blaze, Joe Biden continues to attack President Trump over his response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Donald Trump forgot. I can't do the the Biden slur and mumbling, so I'll do it my way. Donald Trump forgot about COVID-19, but COVID-19 didn't forget about us. Biden tweeted in June. The president couldn't wish away the virus in April. He couldn't tweet it away in May, and he can't ignore it away in June. What an idiot. Remember back in March, we talked about the need to act like we were at war with the virus? He called himself a wartime president. What happened? Now it's almost July and it seems like our wartime president has surrendered. Waved the white flag. White flag. Is he racist? And left the battlefield. A few weeks ago, Biden told Trump to speed up the testing. The crisis in Arizona is the direct result of Donald Trump's failure to lead and his desire to slow the testing down. Americans are suffering the consequences, Biden said on Wednesday. But back in 2009, way back, when he was vice president and the swine flu pandemic, the Obama administration instructed the states to shut down testing for H1N1 and stop counting cases of the deadly respiratory disease. I didn't find this link on the Drudge Report. I didn't find it at Mediaite. I found it at The Blaze. In October 2009, CBS News released the findings from a three-month-long investigation into how the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention were reporting H1N1 cases during the swine flu pandemic. Quote, in late July, the CDC abruptly advised states to stop testing for the H1N1 flu and stop counting individual cases. CBS News reporter Cheryl Atkinson wrote, Boy, is she a real reporter. That's why CBS... Attacked her. Undermined her. The rationale given for the CDC guidance to forego testing and tracking individual cases was, why waste resources testing for H1N1 flu when the government has already confirmed there's an epidemic? Wow, Joe! Joe. Quote, some public health officials privately disagree with the decision to stop testing and counting, telling CBS News, that continued tracking of this new and possibly changing virus was important because H1N1 has a different epidemiology, affects younger people more than seasonal flu, and it's been shown to have a higher case fatality rate than other flu virus strains, the report said. The CDC website confirms the CBS News report. This is 2009. Obama-Biden were in charge. Quote, individual case counts were kept early during the 2009 H1N1 outbreak when the 2009 H1N1 virus first emerged. The CDC website reads, as the outbreak expanded, it became more widespread. Individual case counts become increasingly impractical and not representative of the true extent of the outbreak. This should be in all capital red letters for, for our friend Drudge. I'm sure it won't be. This is because only a small proportion of persons with respiratory illness are actually tested and in confirmed flu- influenza, including 2009 H1N1, the CDC. So the true benefit of keeping track of these numbers is questionable, the CDC stated. In addition, the extensive spread of 2009 H1N1 flu within the United States made it extremely wor- resource intensive for states to count individual cases. This is the CDC, I'm quoting. On July 24, 2009, CDC discontinued reporting of individual cases of 2009 H1N1, but continued to track hospitalizations and deaths. We don't even talk about deaths anymore. There's so few. Look, I understand, a few's too many. But literally, there's so few right now, they're statistically almost impossible to account for. But you can't say that. No! There was no testing when Trump... Was president Now there's testing up the wazoo. They ran out of masks. But Trump gets the masks. They ran out of rubber gloves. The proctologists didn't know what to do. Now there's rubber gloves everywhere. They didn't have ventilators. Now we got more ventilators than we know what to do with. They didn't have respirators. Now we have more respirators than we know what to do They didn't have hospital beds. Now we had more hospital beds than we knew what to do with. But Trump's a failure. Even though the mortality rate. The mortality rate, according to the government, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, National Center for Health Statistics, the week ending uh, July 4, 2020, nationwide, 71. We had that many people dying on an afternoon as a result of Andrew Cuomo shoving coronavirus-positive patients. It was frail senior citizens in nursing homes. The directive... To stop testing and counting H1N1 cases was issued three months after then-President Barack Obama officially declared the H1N1 influenza virus a public health emergency. And three months before the administration declared it a national emergency on October 24, 2009. October 24, 2009, H1N1 was declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization. Atkinson filed a formal Freedom of Information request to know why the CDC order states to stop testing. Two months later, she received a letter from the CDC Freedom of Information Office. This letter is to inform me that my request for expedited treatment and my FOIA request has been denied. More when I return. love in. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character, to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com I I hope and I know people at the White House are listening to me. They need to really focus in on this. Keep putting out the charts from their own CDC site on the incredible accomplishments when it comes to the reduction of mortality. Moreover, that Biden and Obama did in fact stop testing when it came to the H1N1 flu in 2009. And there was no griping in the media, no griping by the bureaucracy, no griping by Anthony Fauci, the Fauch. Ron Klein, who served as Biden's chief of staff in 2009 and Obama's Ebola czar in 2014, seemingly pointed out how the country dodged a bullet during the swine flu outbreak because of luck. Quote, It is purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the great mass casualty events in American history. It had nothing to do with us doing anything right. It had to do with luck. If anyone thinks that this can't happen again, they don't have to go back to 1918. They can just go back to 2009 and 2010. And imagine a virus with a different lethality. My God, ladies and gentlemen, they have confessed to their incompetence and their obstruction. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale's been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com.
2: The Mark Levin Show. Where the Reagan Coalition meets every day. Call now. 877
0: The information I am providing to you is catastrophic to the Biden campaign, which is precisely why you will not find it on most of the so-called news aggregation sites out there. Which is precisely why the newsrooms around the country are not reporting it which is precisely why Biden and Obama are not asked about what they did in 2009 with the H1N1 flu that they stopped counting because it was a pandemic they said we already know it's a pandemic what's the problem? and here we have a daily count a daily count on these fraudulent websites a daily count on the screen in these fraudulent news shows of how many have died And yet, we don't even know if the primary reason they died is, in fact, the Wuhan China virus. It's just assumed. And when you go on the CDC site again, you can you can you can inform yourself about how they define this. It's very ambiguous. But even putting that aside, the reduction in the mortality rate should be celebrated. It's remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Which is exactly why they're not giving it to you. I'll give you a perfect example. Kamala Harris is a demagogue. She has demagogued her way to a Senate seat. She hopes to demagogue her way to be Biden's running mate. And this has been my prediction, right or wrong, doesn't matter, from day one. And uh, she's clearly not the best person to be vice president of the United States, woman or person of color aside. There are other women and people of color who are much better than she is. But here's what she says, utterly ignorant or a flat out bald faced liar. Cut eight, go.
3: And, and, and Joe's right. Listen, the coronavirus is getting worse and, and no one can deny that.
0: I'll deny that. I'll deny it. Less people are dying from the coronavirus. The coronavirus itself is not getting worse. More people have it. Perhaps more people are getting it. We really don't know. The testing is what is, is capturing more and more people who've had it or have it. The age of the people getting it are much younger. We know a lot more about this in terms of the, the populations that need to be protected. A lot more. Like elementary school kids are not among them. Middle school kids and high school kids are not among them. The only virus stopping those kids from going to school is called the NEA, the National Education Association, and the AFT, the American Federation for Teachers. And they're the back pocket of the Democrat Party, and everything they do is about power, money, and promoting Democrat elections. Not about education in the classroom. So that's what they're doing. So this Kamala Harris is on MSLSD last night. Go ahead.
3: Yesterday alone, Lawrence, there were almost 60,000 new
0: cases. She talks about 60,000 new cases and how many deaths yesterday. She has no idea. Neither does Lawrence. And yet there it is. The CDC can tell you. Even though the definition is very broad not of the virus itself, but the causes of death. I'll give you an example. Even that list I read, even that list I it's Table 1, National Center for Health Statistics. That category is called All Deaths Involving COVID-19. Not all deaths resulting from COVID-19, all deaths involving COVID-19. But they could involve other things too. But they don't say that in this chart. And yet in other charts, they do. But you see, 60,000 cases we had. Oh my, 60,000 cases. Nobody can deny it's getting worse and worse. It's getting worse. And you know what? A friend of mine said, and he's right. God forbid if Joe Biden's elected president, all of a sudden the charts are going to go away. All right, OK, It's no big deal. I mean, if there is cancer and heart attacks and heart disease and strokes and diabetes and all that. OK, well, OK. Let's move on now. Move along. Go ahead
3: today alone. And, and we have in Donald Trump, somebody who likes to use the term commander-in-chief, but he's in command of nothing except his own ego. See,
0: see how nasty and stupid this woman is? Nasty and stupid. It's what she is. I'm sorry. I'm talking about what's between the ears. Democrats want to talk about everything but what's between the ears. Go ahead.
3: And and so what we are seeing is a lack of a national standard for testing, for contact
0: tracing. A lack of a national standard for testing. What the hell is she talking about? You got Dr. Fauci out there and the others. uh, They've set the standard for the testing. There's no lack of a national standard for testing. But for Donald Trump, there wouldn't be national testing going. And what is this contact tracing, Mr. Producer? They want to have a big, strong fast computer with all of us in it to know what we have and don't have? I'm not for contact tracing, ladies and gentlemen. Not in the least. Not after the last two months. You see what the hell's going on? I don't want them having contact tracing, no contact tracing, no tracing, period. We, we need... She do not even know what it means. We need the contact tracing and... Uh... I have a better idea. Why don't we just all, you know, like, if you have a dog or a cat, you put a computer chip... In the uh, in the dog or cat, Mr. Producer, under the skin, in case they get lost. Why not just put a uh, a computer chip in all human beings? Hey, uh, contact tracing. We're doing contact tracing. Don't worry, it'll be harmless. Don't worry, it won't. What are you, right wing nut? A conspiracy theory? What? What are you thinking? Colluding? No, no, no. It's okay. The Democrats do not believe in civil liberties. I do not believe in contact tracing. I don't believe in using our cutting-edge technologies to track American citizens. The Obama administration demonstrated why that's a problem, didn't they? Their illustrious FBI senior leadership and their intelligence agencies and all the rest of it? No, no contact tracing. So now that the death rate has gone way, way, way down, the Democrat governors are all fired up. All right, look. You better damn well wear a mask. And if you don't, we're slapping a $1,000 fine on you. Maybe a $500 fine. Unless, of course, you're pulling down monuments, looting, arson, you know, assaulting cops. That's different. Free speech, that's fine. Unless you're painting Black Lives Matters in the streets. That's okay, that's okay. In other words, as long as you're a Democrat, as long as you're a radical, as long as you're pushing the BLM Marxist agenda, as long as you're supporting Biden, uh, that's all right. Wait, don't don't sweat it. If you're a Marxist organization trying to take out America, we're going to protect you. But if you're an honest citizen who loves your flag, loves your country, loves the national anthem, we're going to slap a fine on you. Oh. So Kamala Harris is an ignoramus she is she throws out words she doesn't even know what she means i would love to debate this woman mr producer you do contact rich these offices right that i ask you to contact ask kamala harris to come on i want to discuss the coronavirus with her tell her it's getting worse and we need to have her pearls of wisdom please very very important very important. I want to discuss how it's uh, spreading. 60,000 cases. We have no national standard for testing, and we need contact tracing. We need a national, federal computer. And I know where we can have it, Mr. Producer. We can have it in a room right next to the FISA court. The FBI can run it. In fact, we can bring Comey back. That'd be cool. Bring back all the Democrats. They won't do anything wrong. Don't worry. It's okay. Got a great Supreme Court decision, you know. They can look into your private. They they think they have a legislative purpose. They can look into your backgrounds and look at no no problem. It's okay. It's all legal. No problem. You ever hear the phrase "the law is an ass"? Well, that's what it's become. That's what it become. So now that I have announced to millions and millions of you, to the backbenchers who who are listening to this program, both on TV and radio, and I have no qualms about them. I'm all for them. We need to spread the word. But now that I've done the research for them, use it! There is no reason why during their primetime programs, MSLSD and CNN, don't show this chart and use this information. There is no reason for them to ignore what took place in 2009. What took place in 2009 when Obama and Biden and the CDC stopped counting deaths. In fact, stopped tracking hospitalizations. Because they said we know it's a pandemic, it's resource intensive to do this. Forget it, we're done. And the only one that raised concerns the great Cheryl Atkinson. Nobody else. There's no reason to ignore this anymore, Sunday news shows such as you are. I'm sure you're going to have somebody from the Biden campaign or some Biden surrogate or some dim-witted Democrat, maybe a Kamala Harris or whatever. Ask them. Read it to them. And Rod Klain, Rod Klain, who's always been Joe Biden's bag man, he was wearing gloves, rubber gloves, when he was hanging around Joe Biden long before they were required. Mr. Producer, Are you wear this? Ron Klain, Biden's chief of staff, 2009. About the he Obama's Ebola czar. Absolute luck. Luck in 2009 and 2010. Absolute luck. He says. Can you imagine if one of the president's people said that? This president has worked his ass off organizing the feds, the states, and the private sector. He has broken his back at coordination for hospital beds, for ventilators, for respirators, for masks. For hospital beds. Gets no credit. Instead, we get these endless, stupid, insipid, vile, idiotic Democrat propaganda spewed by the media, spewed by the leadership of the Democrat Party each and every day. This is what propaganda is like, ladies and gentlemen, the big lie. And now, according to polls on television anyway, senior citizens are soft on Trump because they don't believe he's handled the virus properly. The Democrats... Shoved the virus into nursing homes. The Democrats shoved the virus into adult living communities. And the president? He's the problem? I'll be right back. Much in. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty Hillsdale's articles of association dating back to 1844 commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious Liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending Liberty since 1844, and it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto. Come what may learn more. Go to LevinforHillsdale.com, for nforhillsdalecom L-E-V-I-N Nancy Pelosi today, Mr. Caducey. I think it was yesterday, actually, at a press briefing. Nancy Pelosi's all in with the rioting and the violence, ladies and gentlemen. Does that bother the women in the suburbs with college education who happen to be Caucasides? I think so. Cut 15, go. Uh,
4: But um, I'm I'm not one of those people who's wedded to, oh, a statue to somebody someplace is an important thing. Uh, I don't... Well, your
0: daddy was. He was thrilled with the two Confederate generals' He He praised them. He praised it. Anyway, let's go
4: doesn't want the statue there. The statue shouldn't be there. Uh, it doesn't diminish my pride in my Italian-American heritage and the fact that uh, it was a country discovered by an Italian name for an italian American, Vespucci. Uh So I have that pride, uh, but I don't care that much about statues.
0: No, 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 wait a minute. She walks through the halls of Congress at night looking for statues to take down. So she does care. She does care. And I guarantee if the Franklin Roosevelt statue was somehow vandalized, they'd all go nuts. Go ahead.
1: That'd be done by a commission or the city council, not a mob in the middle of the night throwing I, it into the I, harbor?
0: People
4: will do what they do. It, it, it's a. It people is, will do what they do.
0: Is that what she said about the peaceful Tea Party? People will do what they do. Wait a minute. I saw a Tea Party activist drop a napkin in the park and they didn't pick it up oh my god one of them said the n-word we were told but there wasn't a single witness not an iPhone nobody said the n-word but John Lewis said they said the n-word nobody heard it the reporters were there nobody heard it but they must have said the n-word but they didn't nor did they burn down buildings nor did they they, they, they write massive graffiti about their group and the streets or anything no People will do what they do. Go ahead.
4: Uh, I do think that from a safety standpoint, uh, it would be a good idea to uh, have it taken down if the community doesn't want it. I don't know that it has to be a commission.
0: Oh, from a safety standpoint. But otherwise, people will do what they do. I'm telling you, these rioters, these hoodlums, these arsonists, these criminals... These mostly peaceful punks, they're Democrats. They're Bernie's Bolsheviks. She knows it, and I know it. And those Bolsheviks are now Biden's Bolsheviks. That should bother the Caucasian women with college degrees in the suburbs, Mr. Producer, wouldn't you think? No, the tweets of Trump. My God, did you see that Trump tweet? I tell you what. I have never seen anything like that, Harvey. Me neither, Sandra. Oh. Can't have a president like that. Here's Pelosi trying to unify us. They'll do what they do. They'll do what they do. I can't. I'm not into monuments. You want to burn them? Take it. For safety reasons, you might not want to do it. But you don't need a commission. Maybe a meet. Maybe But people will do what they do. Oh, well, that's very unifying. Thank you. You schmuck. I'll be right back.
2: Hello
0: America, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, nothing like an objective voice, the president of the National Education Association, a left-wing hack in every respect, the teachers' union president, who is a Democrat, dressed up as a union president. You know, Barack Obama holds the record for the largest single-day use of the clemency power. He granted 330 commutations on January 19, 2017, right before he left. He issued more commutations than the past 13 presidents combined. But that's not all. I want to get back to Oscar Lopez Rivera. And you'll see the difference in how the media report these things and say it's just incredible. You would think Roger Stone was a terrorist, the way they talk about him. President Obama's pardon for Oscar Lopez Rivera trades a terrorist for votes. January 22, 2017, Mike Gonzalez of the Heritage Foundation. In 1999, a year before Hillary Clinton was elected to the Senate from New York, and a decade and a half before emails helped destroy her presidential ambitions, an advisor to her husband's administration sent an email about proposed pardons of imprisoned Puerto Rican terrorists. These are the F-A-L-N. The pardons would be, quote, fairly easy to accomplish and will have a positive impact among strategic communities in the U.S., in other words, voters, wrote Myra Martinez-Fernandez, an advisor to the White House Working Group for Puerto Rico, according to our friend Deborah Burlingame of the Wall Street Journal. In other words, pardons for votes. Communists celebrated the pardons then, just as they did yesterday, a couple years ago, remember it? 2017, from Canada to Colombia to Cuba, when President Obama commuted yet another convicted Puerto Rican terrorist sentence. But Martinez Fernandez's email still holds the clue. The president's action carries the same unavoidable whiff of playing identity politics with a key voting block of the Democratic Party. In fact, you have to go back to Lyndon Johnson to find the last Democratic president who, in his waiting days in office, didn't spring from prison a Puerto Rican convicted of terrorist acts. The beneficiary of Obama's commutation this time is Oscar Lopez Rivera. He's no angel, but he's being lionized as one, and not just by too many Puerto Ricans, but also by celebrities. Typical is Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame, who tweeted from London that he was sobbing with gratitude after hearing the news. He promised he would reprise his signature role in a performance of the musical to be attended in Chicago by Lopez. Also characteristic of Lopez... Uh, Support in this article in the Daily Beast, which called Lopez a political prisoner and referred to his anti colonialist mission. For the record, Puerto Rico has held no fewer than four referendums on its status. In the last one in 2012, more than 61% voted to ask to become a state, less than 5.5% voted for independence. Obama's one-time friend, Bill Ayers, himself a terrorist in the 70s, tweeted out a, celeb- a celebratory Oscar Lopez freed. In the same tweet, he asked for a posthumous pardon for executed Soviet spy Ethel Rosenberg. Miranda, at least, ought to know better. His support for Lopez sadly puts into stark relief the Hamilton cast dress down of vice president. Okay, it goes on. Real alarm and anxiety is what Lopez's group, the Armed Forces of National Liberation, or FALN, sowed through its nine-year campaign of terror throughout the United States. In one bomb attack in the busy Francis Tavern in New York's financial district in January 1975, it killed four people and injured 60, many maimed. What was the FALN's reason for creating all that suffering? It wanted to establish in Puerto Rico a Marxist republic. Sound familiar? against, as we have seen through the referendums, the stated desire of the overwhelming majority of Puerto Ricans. Lopez, a community organizer in Chicago, decades before our 44th president, plied that trade in the same city, joined the FALN in 1974. He was a fugitive for five years before his arrest in 1981. Police discovered six pounds of dynamite in a Chicago apartment. And it goes on. The editor of The Federalist, the great Ben Dominich, himself, the scorn of a well-known Puerto Rican political family, wrote Tuesday in the transom that Lopez recruited and trained a small army of terrorists to murder his fellow Americans. He built bomb factories. He taught the young and impressionable how to make devices that would kill and maim. When he was put on trial, he admitted to doing all he had been accused of. He showed no remorse. And Obama commuted his sentence. But... Roger Stone, should the president act. That'll be the so-called scandal of the century. You see where I'm coming from? You see my point? You see how we live in two worlds, the world imposed upon us by our enemies and the world they impose on themselves, which is quite different, very forgiving. Very forgiving. Now there was a hearing today, you, you've heard this going on for some weeks now, that the New York Times reported as the New York Times tried to, uh, to kneecap the president in every edition that it spews, every edition that it pours out. A Holocaust-denying, Stalin-supporting New York Times. They put out this story that the intelligence community said that Putin had put a hit out on American soldiers. Uh, and that leaked, and that got uh, days and days and days of attention, and, and the Kamala Harris's of the world and the Adam Schiff's of the world beat their chests about how it's outrageous that, number one, if the president wasn't read right into this, what a disgrace that the president doesn't, doesn't take his, uh, his, his uh, briefings, that the president this and the president that, and that he must be paid off by uh, Putin, so we need to see his taxes. You, you know how this works. Well, there was testimony today, wasn't there, Mr. Mr. Producer? General Mark Milley is the uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I don't like this guy. I don't like this guy at all. But nonetheless, he was testifying yesterday in front of the the House Armed Services Committee. And here's what he said, which has gotten some attention, but not nearly enough, given all the, uh, the media that took place as a result of the New York Times story. Cut four, go.
1: Congressman, as of today, right now, we don't have cause and effect linkages uh, to a Russian bounty program causing U.S. military casualties. However, we are still looking. Uh, We're not done. We're going to run this thing to ground.
0: We're going to run this thing to ground. But they haven't found anything yet. But it's the president's fault because he wasn't briefed on something they haven't found yet. You see how the news cycle hits and they move on? It's hit and run, move, move, hit and run, move, move. You never go back and say, okay, well, what happened with that? But the general was also testifying about the Confederacy. Apparently he's an expert on the Confederacy. But we have these forts that are named after several of them, Confederate generals, Hood, Bragg, so forth. And so he's asked this question by a Democrat. What does he think about all this? He's asked by a Democrat. Go ahead. That's cut five.
1: Uh, the military equity here is divisiveness. Uh, and as you mentioned, cohesion. Forty-three uh, percent of the United States military uh, are minorities. Uh, and uh, 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 in the Army, for example, and these are Army bases you're talking about, uh, we're up to 20-plus uh, percent African-American. And in some units, you'll see 30 percent. Well, that's
0: interesting, Mr. Producer. then I guess the fact that these forts are named after Confederate soldiers apparently isn't affecting uh, the number of African Americans who are joining the military, no? Apparently not, but it doesn't matter. Go ahead.
1: Those young soldiers that go on to a base, uh, a Fort Hood or a Fort Bragg or a Fort wherever named after a Confederate general, uh, they can be reminded that that general fought for an institution of slavery that may have enslaved uh, one of their one of their ancestors. I had a staff sergeant when I was a young officer who actually told me that at Fort Bragg, uh, and he said he went to work every day on a base that uh, represented a guy who enslaved his grandparents. So the symbols of the it's not just that you know we have to improve the substance of promotions et cetera in the military, but we've also got to take a hard look at the symbology, the symbols, things like right, Confederate stop. flag,
0: symbology. I I guess that's i I'd never heard of this before. We've got to look at the symbology. Okay, go ahead.
1: Choosing bases and all that kind of stuff. The, the, Confederate, the Confederacy, the American Civil War, uh, was fought. Uh, and, and it was an act of rebellion. It was an act of treason at the time uh, against the Union, against the Stars and Stripes, against the U.S. Constitution. And those officers turned their back on their oath.
0: All right. Now, what's the irony here, Mr. Producer? What's the irony, America? that a member of the Democrat Party asked this general that question. That that congressman is a member of the Democrat Party. That most of these generals were members of the Democrat Party. That the Democrat Party was the party of the Confederacy. That the Democrat Party was the party of the president of the Confederacy. That it was the Democrat Party and the people that were selected by Democrats on the Supreme Court that issued the Dred Scott opinion. And it was the Democrat Party justices on the Supreme Court who issued the Plessy versus Ferguson decision. The Democrat Party How do you think Japanese-Americans feel about the Franklin Roosevelt Memorial in Washington, D.C.? Or all the Roosevelt Boulevards and all the Roosevelt this or that. Or the fact that Marxist Bernie Sanders keeps praising FDR and says Biden's going to be the most progressive president since Franklin Roosevelt. How do you think Japanese-Americans think about that and feel about that? Now we don't care, they're not part of BLM, I guess. But here we have a general being asked by a Democrat about these forts. And he's concerned about the the symbology. Okay. If you're concerned about the symbology, then why wouldn't you, after saying this, also turn to the Democrat congressman and say, I feel the same way about the name of your party. And I feel the same way about the fact that you have not changed the name of your party and you should. But General Miley doesn't go there because he doesn't want to. Imagine these African American fighting men and women. If they're called into combat and they are in service, fighting for a Democrat president, a president, a commander-in-chief who belongs to the same party as the breakaway confederacy and their supposed president. The same party. Isn't that treasonous, General? Wasn't that a rebellious act by that party? Doesn't that symbology concern you? Apparently not. Apparently not. These were acts of treason and these generals were traitors. That's the way Ulysses S. Grant viewed them. And Yet after the Civil War, actually let's first talk about the surrender of Lee. He put out his hand. He shook Lee's hand. He told Lee he was not going to humiliate them. That his soldiers should go home with a sidearm no long guns. They could take their horses. They would not be imprisoned. They wouldn't suffer any further. They should go home to their families. And same with the generals. And same with Lee. There was no retribution. Because Grant and Lincoln wanted the United States of America to become united. They wanted to integrate the South and the North. Beyond just race, but integrate the South and the North, which had obviously become bifurcated. There was a civil war. I cannot imagine General Miley conducting himself as Grant did. People want to relitigate this civil war. They want to refight it. And that's what they're trying to do. But it is amazing to see how the Democrat Party positions itself as the Republican Party. And the Republican Party they position as the Democrat Party. Isn't that amazing? I'll be right back. love in. Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator, and Ulysses S. Grant, the commanding general of the Union forces, would be appalled, appalled at what's going on today. Absolutely appalled. They would be appalled at the re-litigation, if you will, of the Civil War. They'd be appalled at how people are picking at old scabs to exploit this country and to advance a different ideology, which we call Marxism, which is now really the heart and soul of the Democrat Party and the media. And if I'm wrong, maybe they can tell me why. And these two men did more for African Americans than any liberal Democrat has ever done for African-Americans. Ever. You can mention Lyndon Johnson, you can mention whomever you wish. It was Grant who commanded the forces. And who insisted. When he won these battles... that some of these Confederate generals would say to Grant, okay, Grant would say, uh, they would come to Grant, they would say they want to sue for some kind of peace. He said, no, no, it's unconditional surrender. And most of these men fighting for the South were not wealthy plantation owners. They were poor, white, subsistence farmers. But some of them were. Some of them did have slaves. Obviously, there were four million slaves. And one general or the other would say to Grant, okay, you're going to let us keep our sidearms and our horses, those who had horses. Can we keep our slaves? He said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No way. I want to tell you a little story as it relates to the Civil War as it relates to the second inaugural of Abraham Lincoln. If you're in uh, Black Lives Matter Antifa, this is probably where you shut off the radio. But for the rest of you, I hope you'll stick around. It's very important. I'll be right back.
3: Seeking the truth never gets old.
2: America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811.
0: Working from home is driving up the worst type of cybercrime, home title theft. We're doing it all from home, working, banking, video conferences, meal deliveries, and shopping. Cybercriminals are targeting our homes. Actually, they want the money they can get by taking out loans against your home. The crime is home title theft, and the FBI is warning homeowners. Home Title Lock is how you protect your home from cyber thieves. Your home's legal title is online where they find it and forge your signature stating you sold your home to them. Then they'll take out loans on your home and leave you in debt. Banks, insurance, and basic identity theft services do not protect you. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. Protect your home now. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim. I know a victim. It destroys your life. It really does. Go to Home Title Lock. Use code Mark, and you'll get 30 days of protection free to help you through this crisis. That's code Mark at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. I want to read something to you. Stick with me. There's always a reason why I do what I do. This phrase, malice toward none, is in the second inaugural address. I want you to listen to Lincoln as compared to what you're listening to today. But first, let me start at the beginning. This is the Malice Toward None book that my father wrote and illustrated around Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. It's the second shortest inauguration speech in the history of the presidency. The first was George Washington's second speech. And as we now know, the reason it was so short, because George Washington wasn't comfortable speaking, and I mean literally. Because there was only one tooth left in his mouth that it was actually his tooth. He had some kind of a a disease that caused him to lose all of his teeth. Now, this book was published in 2014, and I just want to read this to you. It's the preface. Last year on my visit to Florida to see my parents, Jack and Norma, I found my father spending a goodly amount of time working at his artist's easel. It's actually more like a well worn easel desk. It's located toward the back of their modest but comfortable home in a tranquil area, where the sun shines most of the day and a light breeze can usually be felt through the screened porch. This is where my father has conceived and designed much of his artwork and his books. It is also where he painted his magnificent portrait of President Ronald Reagan. I'm getting to a point here, which is displayed prominently today in the Ronald Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California. As my father was leaning over his easel desk, surrounded by history books and with magazines and photographs at hand, maneuvering his exacto knife across the desk with the exactitude of a surgeon, I asked him, Dad, what are you working on? He said, my next book. I walked away, he was sitting, and I leaned over his shoulder. And as he was diligently cutting and arranging lettering under a dramatic Civil War era graphic, he began talking about the historical importance and modern-day relevance of Abraham Lincoln's Second Inaugural Address, 1864. Almost at the end of the Civil War. He explained that it was a seminal address intended to foster the national healing process And preach reconciliation as the devastation of America's most costly war was coming to an end. He reminded me that the celebrated phrase, with malice toward none, with malice toward none, with charity for all, was delivered by Lincoln at that speech. And Lincoln relied heavily on references to and inferences from faith and the Bible. As my father explains and illustrates in his book, I'm not pushing the book, I'm just telling you what's in it, in myriad ways Lincoln's second inaugural address is considered his finest speech. He was enormously proud of it, although during the short time he remained alive after his second swearing-in, he wondered how it would be accepted over the ages. Apparently today it's not accepted at all. Just as the nation had tired of war, it had taken a heavy toll on Lincoln as well. After the address was delivered and Lincoln made his way back to the White House, Walt Whitman, who observed the inauguration as one among the multitudes who crowded into Washington that day, reported, I saw Lincoln on his return at 3 o'clock after the performance was over. He was in his plain two-horse barouche and looked very much worn and tired. The lines, indeed, of vast responsibilities, intricate questions, and demands of life and death, cut deeper than ever upon his dark brown face. Yet all the old goodness, tenderness, and sadness, and canny shrewdness, underneath the furrows. I never see the man without feeling that he is one to become personally attached to, for his combination of purest, heartiness, tenderness, and and native Western, even rudeness, forms of manliness." By his side sat his little boy of ten years. There were no soldiers, only a lot of civilians on horseback, with huge yellow scarves over their shoulders riding around the carriage. Now not until April 26, 1865, about seven weeks after Lincoln's March 4, 1865, second inaugural address, did the last of the Confederate forces finally surrender. The scale of the casualties and the scope of the destruction were inconceivable. My father reminds me that nearly 750,000 died during the Civil War. The equivalent of over 7 million today. The equivalent of over 7 million today. It's no accident that my father, a vigorous, nearly 90-year-old... Lived to be 93. A patriot born only 60 years after the end of the Civil War and a young volunteer when World War II broke out is dedicated to highlighting some of America's most significant historical events and bringing them to life. Now, why did my father choose this subject? Lincoln's second inaugural address. Here's what he explained to me. America faces many difficult and complicated challenges, he said, both at home and abroad. Some days it may seem like the future is bleak or even hopeless. Now is a good time to remember that the nation's past is one of unthinkable and perilous trials, all of which we have surmounted. We are a people defined by amazing triumphs. No speech, perhaps no occasion, better exemplifies this truth than Lincoln's second inaugural address. Those are beautiful words that he told. Beautiful words. And so, the foreword of the book is very informative. In November 1864, Abraham Lincoln won a resounding electoral victory over Democrat George McClellan, whom he had removed a few years earlier as Major General of the Union Army. Although McClellan was popular with the troops, Lincoln lost trust in McClellan due to his indecisiveness and at times defiance. Lincoln's re-election, initially in some doubt, was improved significantly by a number of Union battlefield victories in the late summer of 1864, especially the Battle of Atlanta and the March to the Sea led by Major General William Tecumseh Sherman. And by the way, Sherman... People aren't taught enough about Sherman. He was very close to Grant. And Sherman had a nervous breakdown earlier in the war. I mean, this was no joke with the carnage and the death. On March 4, 1865, at his second inauguration, in a day that began with miserable weather and heavy rain, Lincoln gave what may, including Lincoln himself, consider his greatest speech. This is important. Yes, even more profound than the Gettysburg Address. It was a speech delivered as the Civil War seemed to be coming to a close, with important victories in South and North Carolina as well as Virginia, among other places. Indeed, 36 days later, Confederate General Robert E. Lee would surrender at the Appomattox Courthouse on April 9, 1865. And tragically, 41 days after his second inauguration, Lincoln would be assassinated by John Wilkes Booth on April 14, 1865. Booth, along with other conspirators, was among the onlookers in the crowd that inauguration day. Also present and listening attentively to Lincoln's speech was Frederick Douglass. The former slave was a courageous and outspoken leader of the abolitionist movement. Again, this is my... That's preface in his book. Douglas was originally skeptical of Lincoln's commitment to ending slavery, but after their meetings and Lincoln's issuance of the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1, 1863, among other things, Douglass became an admirer. And Douglass also attended the inaugural reception at the White House that evening, but was initially prevented from entering the East Room by policemen. He pushed his way past him and was quickly noticed by Lincoln. As Douglas himself recounted, Lincoln called out, quote, "Here comes my friend Douglas." Unquote. Lincoln shook Douglas's hand and said to Lincoln, "Excuse me." Lincoln shook Douglas's hand and Lincoln said, "Douglas, I saw you in the crowd today listening to my inaugural address. There's no man's opinion I value more than yours. What do you think of it?" Douglas replied, "Mr. Lincoln, it was a sacred effort." It would be the last time Douglas would see Lincoln. And a sacred effort it was. On so many levels, Lincoln's second inaugural address is among the most impressive of all speeches delivered by history's great statesmen. Although a mere 703 words and seven minutes in duration, not much longer than the 271 word Gettysburg Address and the second shortest inaugural speech of any president. Barge George Washington's second speech. Lincoln could have claimed vindication, or he could have gloated about the Union's all but certain triumph, as so many political demagogues would have. In fact, the speech is devoid of the kind of endless personal references to self-familiar in the prose of modern presidents. Nor did Lincoln set forth a long list of specific tasks confronting the nation and attempt to rally the people to their discharge, as many had expected and even demanded. Instead, as at Gettysburg, Lincoln delivered the ideal speech, a speech where every word was carefully chosen, every sentence carefully constructed. It was a tour de force, not only in its precision, but more important for its message of tolerance and reconciliation. Its purpose was to address all war-weary Americans and lay the foundation for peace. Lincoln knew well that every corner of the country had been impacted by the war. The casualties were unimaginable, with hundreds of thousands dead. Post-war reconstruction would be an incredibly difficult and complex text involving the restoration of the economy, rebuilding whole cities and towns, assimilating regions, promoting racial harmony, caring for the maimed and the widows, legal and constitutional challenges, and so much more. And Although Lincoln would not live to lead the reconstruction efforts, the spirit and direction of his intentions could not have been clear. They were best exemplified by these magnificent and most memorable words with malice toward none, with charity for all. And during the course of the war, Lincoln was known to pray frequently, seeking strength from God and his hand in guidance. Some noted, including Frederick Douglass, that Lincoln's speech seemed fashioned after a sermon. In fact, nearly half the speech invokes references to God or Scripture. Lincoln spoke of the, quote, woe due to those by whom the offense of slavery came. He observed that both Northerners and Southerners read the same Bible, prayed to the same God, and each evokes his aid against the other. The prayers of both, said Lincoln, could not be answered. Lincoln proclaimed that sl- the American slavery was a blight that God, quote, now wills to remove, and despite the toll and lives and treasure, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether." If there was ever any doubt that the Civil War was fought not only to maintain the Union, but in the end, to drive the horror of slavery from the land, there was no more. It's reported by numerous reliable observers that when Lincoln began his second inaugural address, the stormy weather clouds of that day gave way to the light of a shining sun, and Walt Whitman talks about this. It is an image that underscores Lincoln's exceptionality. He was not only an extraordinary president, but a remarkable man whose wisdom will continue to span generations. But he's not good enough for Black Lives Matter. He's not good enough for Antifa. He's not good enough for tenured professors. He just didn't do enough, that Abraham Lincoln. I'll be right back.
3: love, Levin.
0: technology has improved just about everything phones, cars, shopping your mattresses have more or less been the same since the invention of sleep but we deserve better and finally the mattress has evolved thanks to purple the secret to purple is the purple grid it's a patented comfort technology that instantly adapts to your body's natural shape and sleep style there's nothing like this, nothing Purple is for every body, no matter how you sleep. The Purple mattress is soft where you want it, firm where you need it, and comfortably cool all over It's truly a mattress that does it all. You can count on resting easy night after night, year after year, because the ultra-durable Purple grid won't sink or lose shape. And Pur- listen to this. Purple's so confident in what they do that every Purple mattress, all of them, Come with free shipping and returns and a risk-free 100-night trial. That's over a quarter of a year. Experience the next evolution of sleep. Purple stands behind their mattress. Go to purple.com Levin, purple.com L-E-V-I-N, and use promo code LEVIN. And for a limited time, you'll get $150 off any Purple mattress order of $1,500 or more. That's purple.com slash Levin, promo code Levin, for $150 off any mattress order of $1,500 or more. Terms apply. I'm not going to read you the Lincoln inaugural address, the second inaugural address. You can go online and get it. It's very short. So I say 703 words. And absolute genius. But my point in reading you the preface to my father's book and leading you to this second inaugural address, is you can see what a, what a tremendously rare human being and statesman Abraham Lincoln was. You know, you have these civil wars that go on all over the world, and they go on and on and on. And the reason is, the victor is vicious in victory. The, vis- the victor is vicious in victory. Lincoln took exactly the opposite position. He wanted there to be a union. He wanted there to be integration of the South and the North. And he wanted there to be integration of blacks and whites. And he knew, he knew that if the goal of the North was to continue to pound away at the South, it could never happen. Now we have a Democrat party that in an odd way is doing exactly the same thing. The opposite of what Lincoln and Grant would want.
2: From the Westwood One Podcast Network. deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, eight seven seven three
0: eight one three eight one one. 381 President Donald J. Trump is a very courageous man. He has been advised not to commute Roger Stone's sentence, there's nothing in it for him politically whatsoever. He will come under attack. I spent a good chunk of the earlier part of the program explaining why Roger Stone is nothing like the terrorists, the domestic terrorists that two Democrat presidents pardoned and for which they took almost no heat. But let me read to you now the statement from the press secretary to the president, regarding the commutation of Roger Stone's sentence. And by the way, that judge that he was in front of was a disgrace, and still is. Today, President Donald J. Trump signed an executive grant of clemency, commuting the unjust sentence of Roger Stone Jr. Roger Stone is a victim of the Russia hoax that the left and its allies in the media perpetrated for years in an attempt to undermine the Trump presidency. There was never any collusion between the Trump campaign or the Trump administration with Russia. Such collusion was never, excuse me, uh, let's see, was never anything other than a fantasy of partisans unable to accept the result of the 2016 election. The collusion delusion spawned endless and farcical investigations, conducted at great taxpayer expense, looking for evidence that never existed. As it became clear that these witch hunts would never bear fruit, the special counsel's office resorted to process-based charges leveled at high-profile people in an attempt to manufacture the false impression of criminality lurking below the surface. This is brilliantly written, by the way. These charges were the product of recklessness born of frustration and malice. This is why the out-of-control Mueller prosecutor is desperate for splashy headlines to compensate for a failed investigation. Set their sights on Mr. Stone. Roger Stone is well-known for his nearly 50 years of work as a consultant for high-profile Republican politicians, including President Ronald Reagan, Senator Bob Dole, and many others. He's also well-known for his outspoken support for President Donald J. Trump and opposition to Hillary Clinton. Mr. Stone was charged by the same prosecutors from the Mueller investigation tasked with finding evidence of collusion with Russia. And because no such evidence exists, they could not charge him for any collusion-related crime. Instead, they charged him for his conduct during their investigation. The simple fact is that if the special counsel had not been pursuing an absolutely baseless investigation, Mr. Stone would not be facing time in prison in addition to charging Mr. Stone with alleged crimes arising solely from their own improper investigation. The Mueller prosecutors also took pains to make a public and shameful spectacle of his arrest. Mr. Stone is a 67-year-old man with numerous medical conditions who had never been convicted of another crime. But rather than allow him to surrender himself, they used dozens of FBI agents with automatic weapons and tactical equipment... Armored vehicles, right, Joe Biden? And an amphibious unit to execute a pre-dawn raid of his home where he was with his wife of many years. Notably, CNN cameras were present to broadcast these events live to the world, even though they swore they were not notified. It was just a coincidence that they were there together with the FBI early in the morning. Not only was Mr. Stone charged by overzealous prosecutors pursuing a case that never should have existed and arrested in an operation that never should have been approved, but there were also serious questions about the jury in the case. The forewoman of this jury, for example, concealed the fact that she's a member of the so-called liberal resistance to the Trump presidency. And now, deleted tweets, this activist juror vividly and openly attacked President Trump and his supporters, and the fact that this judge allowed this to take place. There has to be an easy way to remove these judges now. This is just appalling. This one and Sullivan, these rogue federal judges. Finally, it continues, Mr. Stone would be put at serious medical risk in prison. He has appealed his conviction and is seeking a new trial. He maintains his innocence and has stated that he expects to be fully exonerated by the justice system. Mr. Stone, like every American, deserves a fair trial and every opportunity to vindicate himself before the courts. The president does not wish to interfere with his efforts to do so. At this time, however, and particularly in light of the egregious facts and circumstances surrounding his unfair prosecution, arrest, and trial, the president has determined to commute his sentence. Roger Stone has already suffered greatly. He was treated very unfairly, as were many others in this case. Roger Stone is now a free man. And I agree 100% with this decision. 100%. We cannot allow these Soviet-style judges to get away with what they're doing these Soviet-style prosecutors, to get away with what they're doing. And the Constitution gives the president this power to act, and he alone, in circumstances like this, where the system breaks down, where the system is used against the Constitution and against an individual citizen. The president gains nothing politically from this. If you heard earlier in the show, the entire reason that Bill Clinton gave clemency to FALN domestic terrorists who were involved, directly or indirectly, in the murder of fellow Americans was because of its political impact they felt with the Hispanic community. Barack Obama is such a coward that he waited till the day before his full last day in office to issue his pardon to the man who headed the FALN and was not remorseful about the violence that he unleashed. No. This president stands up. And this case was an abomination. I had Roger Stone on this program. I have never met Roger Stone. I have never socialized with Roger Stone. Roger Stone and I have been at odds. Very, very... What should I say, Mr. Producer? Very strong odds. And he has said some very nasty things about this host. But facts are facts and justice is justice. And nothing justifies what happened to him. And so you've got to put aside all that sort of stuff... And look at the justice system and put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in his shoes. When you look at the people terrorizing our communities, people who say that they are avowed Marxists, people who get so called bail reform in the front door, out the back door, people who are brutalizing and abusing our police officers, people who are brutalizing and abusing our fellow citizens held up as examples of revolutionaries, of the resistance, where their organization's name is now painted on famous roads and streets in our major cities. And then you look at Roger Stone, where they throw the book at him. This was a huge, huge injustice. The same applies to Papadopoulos. The same, quite frankly, applies to Manafort. Well, Mark, did he commit those crimes? Did he he fail to pay his taxes? He may well have. But solitary confinement? The treatment that he received upon his arrest? This man never would have been investigated but for the fact that he was a short-time campaign manager for the President of the United States. The President sees this. And if anything reject the media, reject the Democrats, reject the, the operatives who go on cable and, all, and just listen to me. This demonstrates, this demonstrates Donald Trump's compassion and, yes, his intolerance for the abuses of power that he sees that have been launched against not just him and his family, but the people around him. And he has the guts and the principle To stand up to it. Now anybody who says that. Will be attacked along with the president of the United States. I don't give a damn. I could care less. You can't be sending people to prison. Like this. When the president of the United States. Was subjected to a coup effort. Now let's see how aggressive these prosecutors get when it comes to the Obama officials, when it comes to the Hillary Clinton campaign, when it comes to the reporters who conspired with the Obama officials. Let's see how aggressive they become in dealing with individuals who truly sought to undermine our republic, who truly violated our Constitution, who truly used the tools and instrumentalities of law enforcement, national security, and our intelligence services to interfere with our election in ways that only Vladimir Putin could wish he could do. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, We get into this, we did with Clinton and Obama. What's the difference between a commutation and a pardon? They're two different things. The president has the power, um, unbridled power, to do either. So a commutation can reduce a sentence or eliminate a sentence that's been issued by a judge. And that's what the president did. He, elim- did. he eliminated the sentence. A pardon... Cleans the slate altogether. Cleans the slate altogether. Roger Stone has been asking for a commutation. And that's what he got. 100%. Not a partial reduction of his sentence. It was a total elimination of his sentence. Um, so... um. I just wanted to explain the difference between the two because some may get confused and some reporting may be confused. He got a commutation. The sentence was commuted to Zippo. Uh, He was not pardoned. Um, And I suspect that's the reason the president did that is he said, all right, this is an innocent man from my perspective. And he shouldn't do a, a day's worth of prison time. Not a day's worth of prison time. Now, when you hear the left yell and you hear the Democrats yell, just remember who they are. Just remember what their heroes did, Obama and Clinton. Just remember. Just remember about so-called bail reform that's taking place in our cities now. Where violent criminals serve no time. And recidivists, violent recidivists serve no time. Just remember where their morals are. They're non-existent. They would love nothing more than to imprison Trump, to imprison Trump's staff, to imprison his family members, to imprison anybody associated with him. Me. They would just love it. They don't care. The president did today was principled and courageous. He gets no political points out of this. None. Whereas Clinton sought specifically to trade pardons and commutations for votes. And Obama his most controversial and very radical pardons he saved really for minutes before he left office. And nobody talks about them but me. Nobody talks about them but me. So we're not going to spend the rest of the program on this, but... This was exactly the right thing to do, in my opinion. Exactly the right thing to do. And just to show you what we're up against, if you've seen this now, certainly by now, I'm the cleanup hitter. I'm not the the first guy up to the plate every day. You see what's happening to the CEO of Goya, the uh, food company. It's a Hispanic-owned food maker, Goya. Any really grocery store you go in now has Goya products. And they're, they're wonderful products. Wonderful products. And this is a company that was started from nothing. Nothing. And uh, these are Spanish immigrants. Don and Carolina Prudencio. They started uh, Unanu. They started a Goya in 1936. It's the largest Hispanic-owned food company in the United States. And you've seen the CEO, Robert Yunanu. You saw him at a Trump event. It wasn't a campaign event. It was to celebrate the progress, the success, the hard work, the studiousness of, among others, Hispanic businessmen and women. And because the CEO had positive things to say about the president and was respectful, uh, there's now an effort by the Marxists to destroy him and his company and his family. Now he's pointed out today, look, I also went to an event with Obama when he was president. I respect the office of the presidency and I'm going to say respectful things to the president. That doesn't fly anymore with the Marxists, you see. This is why I always have the brass knuckles on when I'm dealing with our enemies, folks. I don't even call them adversaries, opponents. They're the enemy. They want to destroy this country. They want to destroy it. And they want to destroy you. And I don't know how many more times I can say this. They're after you. Of course they're after Trump because he stands between you and them. But it's you who they have their their plans for. You're their target. Controlling you, what you can drive, what kind of house you have, what neighborhood you live in, how much you can earn, what you can wear, masks. no You're the target. You're the sheep. That's how they view you. And your president is standing between you and them. I've said it over, 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 over again. And it's true. So during a speech in the White House. The president had a round table of Hispanic businesses and leaders, as reported by The Blaze. And the CEO of Goya said, we are all truly blessed at the same time to have a leader like President Trump, who's a builder. And he added, we have an incredible builder and we pray. We pray for our leadership, our president, and we pray for our country, that we will continue to prosper and go, grow. He's a third generation Spanish-American. And the left is enraged by his remarks. So Marxist Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she tweeted, Oh, look, it's the sound of me Googling how to make your own adobo. In other words, she's leading a BDS movement against Goya Food. So is Julian Castro. And I agree with Greg Gutfeld today. What we need to do is find out who the leaders of these BDS movements are against various institutions and companies in this country, who they are, and we need to punish them. We need to go after their businesses, go after their employers, go after them and put them out of business and bankrupt them and break their backs, financially, of course. I'll be right back.
2: America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. Rick Harrison,
0: how are you, my friend?
2: I'm doing absolutely great. Going a little crazy with all these uh, uh, different rules every day with this coronavirus. But besides that, I'm doing great.
0: Yeah, I bet you are. Well, I I love your show. I'm like hooked on your show. It's just... uh, it's just always fun to watch. And you learn a hell of a lot. It's really a history show, isn't it?
2: Um, well, that's what I try to do. I mean, um, I think people love to learn. Um, they just like to learn from their uncle and not a professor.
0: Now that's right. Now, Uncle Rick, something came across your countertop at some point. Tell us this story.
2: Okay, so it happened right around eight years ago. Um, uh, what happened was is uh, well it's, the story started um like 12 years ago um when barack obama was campaigning in las vegas um to be president he, uh, at, for for president back in july of uh you know 2008 he was you know uh, apparently he was taking anti malaria drugs why he was taking it i have no idea i don't know if he was planning to leave the country or he's just trying to like you know do uh you know Make sure he didn't get the flu or something like that. But he was taking anti-malaria drugs. Um, he, drew, you know, took his last pill. I guess threw the bottle in the trash of the hotel room. And once you throw something in the trash, you know, it's it's open game for anybody. Um, and one of the uh, the hotel maid picked it out of the trash. Um, she held on to it for like three years, and after it became president, came to the pawn shop and sold it to me.
0: Was it a a knockoff of hydroxychloroquine?
2: Um, it, it's it's uh, similar. I guess uh, I guess it's almost the exact same thing. There's like um, there's two drugs. They're almost identical, and this is one of them. Yeah, this is the other one. But um, yeah, he was taking uh, I guess uh, as a prophylactics uh, to either you know not get something, whether it was malaria or the flu or whatever. But he was definitely taking it.
0: Now, that's interesting. Last time I checked, he's he's doing very well. He's extremely rich. Uh, he served as president of the United States. And now he's sort of the uh, president in waiting, I guess, as they try and prop up Joe Biden. But I thought this was important to know because he's been absolutely silent about this drug, hasn't
2: he? Um. yeah, yes. And the way they politicized this was absolutely insane. I mean, like um, you take uh, Nevada, which has right around three three million people and right next door. We have Utah, which has right around 3 million people. Well, they started using hydroxychloroquine really early in Utah, and our governor, who just um, pulls the Democratic line, just immediately made it so that, um, no, you can't even prescribe that because he's not a doctor or anything like that. But So a doctor just, can't
0: even prescribe it if the doctor thinks you should take it.
2: Yeah, I mean, in fact, that's the way it was, and uh, lo and behold— uh, Four months later, we find out that it actually does work really well, and Utah has one-quarter of the deaths uh, from COVID, as Nevada does. Hmm.
0: Isn't that interesting? Um, now, Mr. Producer, let's go ahead and post that on Mark Levin show Facebook, Mark Levin show Twitter, the photo of the container, so the audience knows that Rick Harrison and I are telling the truth, uh, and, and just the title of this should be... Um, what should the title of this be? What do you think the title should be, Rick?
2: Um, hmm. Uh, I just think it speaks hydroxy, for itself. Um, yeah. Hydroxyl. Um,
0: Hydroxychloroquine.
2: Hydroxy hypocrite.
0: hypocrite <laughs> <thing>? <laughs> How about Obama's hydroxy hypocrite, or something yeah. like that? We'll we'll do something fun. We'll get it up there, well, but no, I want to get it up it, there.
2: I mean, it's frustrating me to death because they've they've turned this whole COVID thing. It's now all politics. It's not about anybody's health. It's all about politics.
0: God and forbid it, it, if if Biden's elected, you watch. It'll be like, okay, now on to the next subject.
2: Um. Yeah. I mean, like, well, it, well, he's never really on a subject.
0: <laughs> oh, Biden. Yes, that's true.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it's really got me frustrated because they they're not following science at all. It's just it's just. You know it's just politics now
0: well, Rick, I want to thank you very, very much for bringing this to my attention. I think the nation should know that uh President Barack Obama prior to being president used to take this stuff now. I have a question, maybe he kept taking it for all we know, right
2: who knows um who who knows um but you know like I said when they when they politicized you know just the medicine that Trump was taking i mean it, um it, it, it was amazing, wasn't it? 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 Yeah, I mean, they politicize everything now. You know, like anything Trump does has to be bad. So we're going to have to ban that from the public using it because Trump used it. Obviously, it, it's poison. But
0: and now that Obama can, used it, maybe they'll they'll be take a different look at it, huh? Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's just it, that's what it's come down to. And it's like, you know, um, you're one of the last sane shows um, on radio and television.
0: Oh, well, thank you.
2: Yeah, I mean, no, they they just don't, um, there's no science left. I mean, you know, because you know me, I am that nerd on television. Last weekend, I gelled out for probably eight hours trying to figure out, is is there one real peer-reviewed scientific study that shows that social distancing and masks work? Mm -hmm. I couldn't find one. I found 20 uh, peer-reviewed studies that says that masks will not stop the spread of a virus. But I couldn't mm-hmm. find one that says it does it, but we, everybody in this country's got to wear a mask. Do you do you wonder why, and maybe
0: some doctors, isn't it? Why weren't we wearing masks for the flu? I mean, there's a lot of reasons to wear masks, right? Theoretically,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, like I'm just saying, wearing masks four months into a pandemic is like wearing a condom to a baby shower. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have to think. I mean, we have a virus that has spread. It's once a pandemic reaches a certain state, there's really no stopping it. I mean mm-hmm. you take the 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 um uh, the Spanish flu of nineteen seventeen, where people inherently did social distance. I mean, people back then ninety nine percent of people did not go to restaurants, it was too expensive. And there was, you know eighty you know, there was eighty five percent less people on the planet, and that still got all the way to the Aleutian Islands. Mm
0: hmm. But but look, even this H, what is it? H I N I or H one N, H H one N one, I should say, that took place in two thousand nine. The Obama administration said, "Look, it's a pandemic. There's no point in keeping track of it." That's what they said. They stopped testing for it. They stopped counting for it. That was Obama and Biden. Yeah, I never took any grief for that.
2: Yes, there was a, and this is all based on. a guy named Neil Ferguson out of England who's been wrong on everything. This is the guy who said that hundreds of thousands of people in the U.K. were going to die from mad cow disease. This guy said that, like, uh, 200 million people were going to die from SARS. And he also said that 200 million people were going to die from COVID-19. He's been wrong every time. Why do we keep on listening to him? I have no idea.
0: Well, what about Fauci? Don't wear a mask, now wear a mask to bed.
2: I mean and this is another thing. They they you know, they come along, they say, Don't wear a mask, don't wear a mask, don't wear a mask. They come back later and say, Well wear a mask. Well, why did you tell us not to wear a mask? Well we didn't want you, the public taking up masks from medical professionals, so you lied to us. Exactly. Exactly. Um And now and now
0: by the way, he's out there undermining the president.
2: Um yes, and and this voucher you can just tell that he's just it's a it's a guy who's never had press in his life, and he absolutely loves it now. He's fallen under its spell.
0: You know, if you're if you're in his position and you have all these enormous responsibilities, I don't know how you keep your head above water twenty hours a day trying to find out what's taking place, who's doing what. This guy's everywhere. He's on airport uh, radar. He's on he's on sonograms. He's on BBC. It's like he doesn't turn down a press event.
2: Uh, he doesn't. I mean, like, and no one's sitting around talking about all the um, the unintended consequences of this uh, this right. close down. Uh, the American Academy of General Physicians, not left wing, mm-hmm. not right wing, anything like that, recently came out with a report saying there's going to be an extra 75,000 suicides and overdoses because of this. Oh we God. have elderly people um, that are passing away at a greater rate, non-COVID related, because they're afraid to go to hospitals. Um, I uh, you know, I was talking to one doctor, and he says he's really concerned because, like, everyone got the COVID-15, the 15 pounds everyone gained from sitting around the house, mm-hmm. which is really dangerous to everybody's health. Um, mm-hmm. All
0: know, right, my reaction friend. reaction is a
2: reaction, and uh, I could go on and on. How's your family? Everybody's doing great. Kids are mm-hmm. doing great. Corey's doing great. Chum's doing great. Um, and um, the only good thing about Consequence of COVID, uh, they can't cast for new TV shows, so just current oh, TV that's shows. True. They want us to ramp up early, so uh, all of a sudden they give me a call and says, "Can you start filming in two weeks?" Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm filming season seventeen right now.
0: Seventeen seasons. Oh my lord! All right, brother. Well, next time you're in town, right, let bro. me know.
2: I will. I'll, I'll call you. Bye we
0: bye-bye. can both we can both wear masks together, or separately. <laughs> All right, God bless. Rick Harrison, right, thank you, good. sir. All right. Did we post that bottle yet, Mr. Producer? All right. We'll be right back. Much lovin'. Amac, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, To quote the great Nancy Pelosi, people will do what they do. I would like to adjust that quote, Mr. Producer. Plastic surgeons will do what they do. And oh my Lord, she needs to get her money back. May I say that? She and uh, John F. Kerry um, used the same plastic surgeon, who apparently is big on mashed potatoes. That's why their foreheads move down their face into their chins. And as I say, and no offense... It appears to me Nancy Pelosi now has four eyebrows, Mr. Producer. May I say that? I think I will. I think I will. I'm not attacking her based on her genitalia, certainly not based on her pigmentation. I'm attacking her because she's a lowlife. People will do what people do, you see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, every Friday, in honor of you, the American hero, the American patriot who believes in this country, America. Tremendous show, Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News, 8 p.m. Eastern. The great Dr. Thomas soul in an exclusive interview. You're going to want to hear from Tom soul We salute our armed forces, police officers, God bless you, firefighters, emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffy. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. And boy, do I miss you, baby Barney. I really do. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. And good night, Leo. And God bless you, America. See you Sunday and see you on Monday.
2: From the
4: Westwood One Podcast Network.